Hello and welcome to Punch a Hole in the Wind, a look at some of the great thoroughbred racehorses who have graced our racetracks all around the world over the last century or so. I'm Ollie Hine and it's great of you to join me on this exciting trip down memory lane. My aim is to both remind you of some of your heroes from years gone by, but also to introduce you to some others whom you may not be so familiar with. We're going back to the interwar years today and to Italy to look at the story of an incredible horse who had an equally incredible breeder. That breeder was Federico Tizio, and the horse in question was the truly perfect Niarco. Ask 10 breeders what they think the ideal thoroughbred racehorse should look like, and you will likely get quite a bit of general overlap, followed by 10 divergent views on more detailed aspects. So far, so predictable. But here's the thing. What so many of them will find themselves agreeing on is that Italian champion racehorse Niarco had pretty much the most perfect confirmation of any racehorse in history. Fortunately for us, his sheer brilliance on the racecourse was matched by his potency in the breeding shed. Indeed, nearly a century on, Niarco is as ubiquitous as any thoroughbred sire has ever been. One man is to thank for all this, Federico Tizio. Snobbish, fussy and self-centred he may have been, but it is possible that there may have been no greater breeder in the 20th century. He possessed an indefinable magic touch that made him something of an international breeding star. His mantra was, a good horse walks with his legs, gallops with his lungs, resists with his heart, but wins only with his spirit and character. As one historian remarked, if you carefully research performance pedigrees right around the world, you will find the hand of Tizio in so many great horses, no matter what the sport and no matter what the breed. Together with his wife, the former Marchesa Lidia Seramenzana Flori, they set up a stud at Dormello, but uniquely, Tizio was a trainer too so his training stables were in Milan. From his paddocks near Rome, and three generations in the planning, in 1934 he sent one of his mares, the absolutely tiny Italian Guineas winner Nogara, to Pharos, his second choice behind Pharos's brother Fairway. The resultant foal wasn't huge either, at first, but he steadily grew into 16 hands of perfection. His intelligent head, his withers, his shoulders, his croup, his fetlocks, his back, his balance, his symmetry. You just couldn't fault him. And sure enough, as Tizio tested him in training, he developed into the mightiest runner his country had hitherto produced. At two, Niarco won all seven races with frightening ease, from five to eight furlongs, including the Gran Criterium and Premio Chiusura. It would be premature to assume that competition in Italian racing was in some way inferior at the time. There had been plenty of Italian winners abroad before. Yet incredibly, despite this endless success, at the end of Niarco's two-year-old season, Tizio tried to sell him, because he thought he was too fast. Rare it is that a horse can show such precocious speed at two, yet see out the longer-distance classic races and beyond at three and older. And those were the races that Tizio ultimately coveted. For once, Tizio's incredible horse instincts let him down. And it was to his, 
and likely our eternal good luck, that he couldn't find a buyer, and so this special animal stayed where he was. To that end, at three, Niarco came into his own. First, he cantered to the Premio Parioli, Italian 2000 guineas, at Campanelli, by six lengths. In the Gran Premio del Re, Italian derby, he won officially by a distance. Video evidence suggests it was nearer 20 lengths, but either way, he was crushing all the opposition with contempt, and always with a stunning turn of foot. He then went to Milan and trotted up in the 12 furlong Gran Premio d'Italia, before stepping up to 15 furlongs for the Gran Premio di Milano. It was far longer than he ideally wanted, but it made no difference. Unbeaten and utterly untested in 13 races, Niarco had nothing left to prove at home, so needed to be tested against the best that Europe had to offer. But this was 1938, and Europe was not a happy place. The biggest all-age race at the time, attracting the best that the continent had to offer, was the Grand Prix de Paris at Longchamp, again run over 15 furlongs. With the stench of imminent war so pungent in the air, Tizio had to seek permission from Mussolini himself to send his horse to enemy territory. Tizio only sought to achieve pure horse racing supremacy, but of course for Il Duce it represented so much more. Seldom has there been a more political race in history. The lineup was outstanding, including the winners of both the Prix du Jockey Club, French Derby, Silas, and the Epsom Derby, Bois-Roussel. The stands were rammed, with the local supporters cheering their home challengers, and even the British horses, as much as they jeered the Italian imposter. He was hissed by tens of thousands, as it was said that his near-black colour represented the black heart of fascism itself. How the usually fractious Niarco managed to remain composed in the face of all this, we'll never know. But jeers don't down class. And even over a distance that was well beyond his comfort zone, Niarco won far more easily than the length and a half margin suggests. As they entered the winner's enclosure, and as payback to the reception that his horse had been given, jockey Pietro Gubellini unleashed a fascist salute. It is frankly a miracle that World War II didn't start there and then. Regardless, Niarco had conquered Europe in a way Il Duce would not. The more dispassionate elements of the racing press acknowledged that the unbeaten colt was truly one of the greats. After what he had witnessed in Paris, Tizio realised that Niarco couldn't stay in Italy, as he would likely be in the firing line of war sooner rather than later. He therefore retired him, and sold him for a record £60,000 to English bookmaker Martin Benson, who was making a habit of buying champions, and Niarco went to stand at Beach House Stud in Newmarket. But Niarco wasn't a normal sire. He was recognised as being the most valuable animal in the country. So when war did indeed arrive, he was built a special bomb shelter, and taught to walk into it when the air raid sirens went off. But the investment was most certainly worth it. As we now look back and realise that Niarco's sire line, via three of his sons in particular, Niarctic, Nasrullah and Royal Charger, permeates almost every single pedigree on both sides of the Atlantic. There has never been a sire over the last century whose ancestors dominate like Niarco's, 
not just in quality, but in quantity. As France Gallo noted, every single winner from 1985 to 2010 of Europe's touchstone middle-distance race, the Prix de l'Arc de Triomphe, can be traced back to him. Domination doesn't come much more complete than that. And it wasn't just quality, but strength in numbers that proved to be Niarco's other secret weapon. In all, more than 100 of his sons have themselves stood at stud around the world, which is a record only surpassed since the late 19th century by the legendary St. Simon. Potent he may have been, but Niarco was also incredibly temperamental as a stallion, and the first 10 grooms who tried to look after him utterly failed and left. Only the 11th, Ernie Lee, was able to finally get Niarco to accept him. The horse loathed being touched, but trusted Ernie, who adored him for all his character issues. As an aged Niarco developed cancer of the hip and an ailing digestive tract, the devoted Ernie Lee had to hand-feed him a special mash of grain and hay for several months, until eventually he had to be euthanized. Lee walked away there and then from the world of racing, never to return. He knew that he would never look after another horse as brilliant and beautiful as Niarco, and, some might argue, nor would anyone else. To find out more about Niarco and other greats from the past, check out my book, Punch a Hole in the Wind, out now and available online and in bookshops. Next time, we'll go to a different part of the world, and explore the exploits of another great horse from another era who could punch a hole in the wind. But until then, this is Ollie Hine signing off and saying thank you for listening. <laughs>